0: The views expressed in our podcast do not represent the views of all sorority organizations. You might even hear different viewpoints among MJ sorority team members featured. Real Talk intends to foster open dialogue about issues we see across the country that affect real women, and beyond these thoughts and recommendations, we would ultimately refer you back to local, state, and federal authorities, as well as your own sorority's rules and policies. While we intend to keep content light and informative, there may be insurance claims discussed that involve bodily injury and personal damage of a sensitive nature be aware that topics may be a bit graphic and even emotionally charged. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Real Talk with NJ Sorority, the voice of sorority
1: risk management, where we talk about the big risks, small questions, and real challenges sorority women face today. NJ Sorority is the premier insurance agency for women's sororities. We are passionate about educating and empowering our clients. We believe that striving to be unique never stops. that by promoting safe decisions and smart risks, we
0: can continue to create spaces for women to grow, serve, and lead. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode where we get into what we can't stop talking about, besides sorority risk management, of course. For now, let's dive into our conversation and let's get real.
1: We are joined here today with Will Frankenberger, the Chief Safety Officer at Delta Zeta Sorority. And uh, Will is also joining the MJ Sorority Department to help us out with resources and educational opportunities and share his expertise with all of us. So Will, can you just introduce yourself a bit?
2: Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm super excited to be here today doing this. Uh, So like Sarah said, my name is Will Frankenberger. I serve as the Chief Safety Officer at Delta Zeta Sorority. I've been doing that job for about uh, a little over six years now. It feels sometimes like a hundred years, but a little over six years, I'm a little bit grayer for it. Uh, but I come from a background in public health and, um, specifically health promotion. Uh, so I live in Charleston, South Carolina, where we get beautiful beaches. So if you want to come visit, let me know. Uh, but I, um, I continue to do this work because I just love working with women. Um, I've always been a little bit more drawn to women and uh, how they approach health and wellness feels a little bit more holistic than some of our sweet fraternity men, and I am a fraternity man, but who are often like, just put them in a room and let them punch it out. Uh, I like the intentionality behind women a little bit. So and excited to be joining the MJ team, helping... um, other clients and folks develop and strategically plan some of their health promotion and, and risk prevention efforts. So looking forward to working with it.
1: Awesome.
0: Yay. We We're glad to have to you. you too.
1: <laughs> yes. So we thought so today, last our in our last episode, we kind of went over some COVID lessons related to housing. And so we wanted to kind of look back first on some COVID lessons as it relates to events, event planning and things like that. So from our perspective, it was all about housing there at the beginning, because everything was shutting down. And it seemed, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe at the beginning that it was just going to be a short amount of time. So then we're like, okay, what do the houses need to do to reopen? And then obviously, that didn't happen. And so then as the kind of summer progressed, or we turned to summer, we started to think about, oh, you know, many campuses are planning on reopening what might events look like. And that's actually, when we started talking to you about it, because you guys were having a lot of the same conversations. But from your perspective, do you want to walk through what, what was going on in in your world
2: as things were? Yeah, so it was wild, right? So we are about a year to date. And I've been seeing on a lot of people's like Instagrams and Facebooks, and just people kind of reflecting on like this, this was about the time last year where, We were all making wild assumptions um, about what COVID was and was not. And I don't think the sorority industry was any better, right? At one point, we were like, hey, it's only a few weeks. Initiations and spring formals will happen. So just relax, right? Um, It really wasn't until probably about next week, um, so about end of March, when universities basically said, go home go home. And I think that's when our industry and higher education sort of got rocked by what does this mean? Um, And so I think that's when we started to see Sororities start to panic a little bit about what does the business model look like for us? How do we keep our members? Right? What does the future of higher ed look like? Are schools opening or not? Um, And we also started to deal with a lot of the emotional stuff. A lot of our seniors, in particular, were feeling robbed of their fourth and final collegiate year. For a lot of the women, not all, but that final experience of your collegiate membership that was really hard for them. Um, We were seeing empathy from our women like we've never seen before for those women, right? For new members who maybe came in in the spring who didn't get to be initiated in that same setting, or were just like kind of told, sit on your hands and wait, and we'll figure it out when we figure it out. So it was wild, I think, for for us as an industry. Um, I think then in the summer months, groups got to be really innovative. And I love our industry, but we have not been an industry that has really thrived in change. Um, We do really well on refining our practice, but I don't think we do a really great job of like going from a car to a little red wagon, right? Like that, it, it changed the entire medium of what we were having to do. And I think it ultimately came down to conversations of how much. How much membership would we, would we lose? And how do we keep these folks engaged? Right. And at the time, even little things like how to make Zoom interactive, half of the features Zoom offers today were not offered. We're not even offered. Right. Like, so we all were like, what the heck does this look like? And so I think what we, what we saw in the jump of COVID was some incredible ingenuity from engagement in virtual platforms and learning from each other. I was so inspired by colleagues of mine who threw down the this often wall that we have up between our groups of like, don't tell me what Kappa Kappa Gamma is doing and Cap, you know, and Omega is not gonna tell me what Theta Phi Alpha is doing and vice versa. It was it was basically like, please, anybody throw any lifeline, lifeboat, anything that you can. Um, and that was, that was awesome to see how that worked. Um, and then I think we started to see a lot of our students really drive us. And I appreciated that because sometimes I think at headquarters land, we tend to try to be ahead of the student and they're just so innovative and so flexible and so able to change that we are not, um, that I think. It really pushed what we could offer them in events. And so that was really tricky. And then I think some of the other challenge we ran into was students, students, and I think society, we severely underestimated what COVID was. A lot of us thought, and some of this was based on narratives from top down, and that's from like top, top of the government, that's top, top of health officials, that this will be wrapped up by fall. So things will be normal. So students came back in the fall and they weren't. We started to see mass amounts of infection rates and mass amount of spreading. And unfortunately, I think the narrative became it doesn't impact young adults as much as it does elderly or older adults. So once you get it, we're fine. And then universities started with messages of herd immunity. Well, if I'm 20, what I heard you just say is, everyone should get it. And then that'll go ahead and knock it out and we can go back to whatever normal is. And so I think that was really hard um, for students. And I think universities had no idea what the narrative was. You could go into a classroom academically with 50 humans, but a party of more than 10, absolutely not. So I think students were, of course, like, "What? what is this? How do we manage what is serious and when it's not um, and what that looks like? And so I think it was wild as we have gotten through that. I think now as we have learned, I think the simple measures of washing your hands and wearing a mask and practicing distancing, um, now our students don't think about events without those features, without that planning in mind. So we've come a long way, but I think we really had to do a lot of um tell me what this means for me as an 18 to 23-year-old. We had to do a lot of, tell me what it means to me even if I get COVID because it's not that serious, right? It's just a cold. It's, it. I don't even feel it sometimes, right? So we had to do a lot of that. And we had to do a lot of, in particular, conversation about, The unintended consequences of being the super spreaders, of being the ones that without care, you know, this is also coupled at a time where we're looking at mass racial unrest, and we're looking at privilege, and we're looking at this. And so, quite honestly, I think it was hard for students to see, hey, quite honestly, most of you are in a mass of privileged, affluent students, white, black, otherwise, that just don't seem like you have a care about the fact that we're in a pandemic to the rest of the student population, that's not a good look either, right? And so we were having to do a lot of coaching in that. And I think it really has caused our, our students to think more critically. And I think to think a little bit more about their, their role in their greater communities because they're often called upon as leaders. So that that I think was the most telling part of events and how we planned things. And now as we move into spring, And there's a vaccine and there's light at the end of the tunnel, which is amazing. Um, I think our students and we see states start to lift mandates and things. I think our students are going back to this, like, okay, that's a green light to go back to normal. And we're close. We're so close. But I think continuing to put those diligent efforts forward until a shot can get in every human's arm or until we do have societal immunity, right? Just like things on measles, mumps, rubella, some of those other ones, even the fact that not every human gets that vaccine, I think we still have to be diligent with our students about what that looks like. And so I think we have to continue to just plan strategically with them, but it's getting better.
1: I think too that to your point, that we, I mean, not just our 18 to 23 year olds, we were all learning this on the fly. I mean, think about, you know, a year ago at this time, we are learning a whole new language. I mean, none of us knew in February of 20, or most of us, unless we're epidemiologists knew what social distancing was, or, you know, all of these other kind of lingo flattening the curve and things like that. (laughs) So I just think that, we have really been invited to be really flexible this year and to show that we are capable of innovation and kind of evolution. And that hopefully we can keep that going forward in terms of maybe addressing some of our other societal ills, uh, that we can bring that kind of flexibility and innovation and energy to knowing that, well, after we have maybe a really fun summer and um a lot of naps. <laughs> yeah. Wanna, well, and Sarah, <laughs> I, don't I really think wanna, you're going to like push us into <laughs> to, to too much too fast.
2: <laughs> right. Well, and I think I think you're right. I mean, I even think about little things of like so I was a, a musical theater major and I, a lot of people don't know this but like in particular vocal and choral programs have been horribly impacted by COVID because of the airborne nature of it. And I don't think that that environment ever considered the amount of germs that were flying out in those spaces, right? And like, I was in a high school choir for years. When somebody got a cold, it rampantly tore through everybody. And I think we all just thought, well, that's just because we're high schoolers, right? We're just kind of gross booger machines, just like a little kid, like classroom is, you know. I don't think we realized that that airborne nature of things is so powerful, even in Mass groups like this has been very telling to me. I think in general about the amount of surfaces I would touch at a grocery store without washing my hands or sanitizing my hands. Maybe I'm gross. I mean, I know I'm gross, but like my brain didn't didn't think about that as critically now as probably as it will even after the pandemic or or going to a jam packed bar full of humans. I don't know if I would will be comfortable ever. Being shoulder to shoulder with somebody again, whether it's a pandemic or just like the common cold, my my brain has really been forever changed in that. So I agree with you, Sarah. I think that that's a huge eye opener that I think a lot of people are going to have as we move forward.
1: Yeah, so that pivots us well into just kind of looking forward. Then, so and before we do that, I think Allison's going to tackle some of those questions. But I think we do want to make clear, Will and I were talking last week, that through the summer, our chapters probably need to just stay the course with mm-hmm. everything that they've been doing, masking, social distancing, increased, you know, sanitation measures, contact tracing, whatever that might be. Because for in most places, that age, that younger age group isn't going to be vaccinated until hopefully this summer. And so through the end of this school year, at least, just maintaining kind of that status quo in terms of your protocol for event planning. And then we are going to be brainstorming from a risk management standpoint at MJ Sorority with Will's help, uh, just some some things to think about, some questions to, to ask yourselves, and uh, things along those lines for looking forward towards the fall. But what are some things on your mind, Will, just kind of using some of these lessons we've learned, like what are you thinking about for the fall? What are you worried about?
2: Yeah. I think the biggest question we're getting right now is about the vaccine, right? Um, Can we mandate the vaccine? Can we demand all of our members have it? Can we force all of our women to have it, right? And I I love those questions because it tells me they're coming from the mindset of like, they see that this is the most preventative and protective thing we can do. Um, Obviously, each organization is going to have their own position on it. But I think folks have to remember first, and again, to Sarah's point, unless you're an epidemiologist, you don't know this stuff. Um, One, the vaccine is still in what is called emergency use only. So it's not it's not available to every person. And even when it does become available, I've heard May 1 is kind of the date that I've heard from the current administration is that's when it's there. That still is on a limited window of supply. So that's not um, as frequent, right? Like you could go get a flu vaccine today in most pharmacies without a question or an issue. And so that's not what this vaccine is. So it's hard to mandate anything in that emergency use status. Um, But two we have to recognize there are there are considerations that people don't get vaccines for. Some people cannot get it for their own health reasons. Some people have a philosophical or religious disagreement or challenge with vaccine. And so while it's there, we want to be that practicing that inclusive mindset to realize not everyone is there. And a new vaccine is scary to some people. And so I love those questions, but I think that's something that we have to be prepared to tackle. Um, I am a firm believer in, in getting the vaccine and, and doing that and, and overcoming those fears and, and looking at the data and the science on it. But I know that those, those other side things exist. The other thing I think that keeps me up a little bit at night is recognizing um, we have gaps in our chapters. So for a lot of our chapters it has been almost a full year and then when fall comes it will be a year and a half until they have pr- operated in a quote unquote normal social way right um, we don't we're not seeing we are seeing an increase in formals this spring as things get lifted but like there hasn't been ongoing date parties there hasn't been ongoing mixers or swaps we haven't seen a lot of bars open up to our normal capacities you know some of our chapters It's 200 women plus 200 dates, and then, oh, we partner with another sorority, so that's another 400 people at the same time, right? Like, So we just don't see events of 800-plus people as much as we were prior to the pandemic, right? And so... I worry that some of our students are going to come into this thinking, everybody knows how this goes. Everybody knows when I walk into the door and I am at my Tri Sigma event, what is expected of me, right? Or I roll in at my Alpha Phi formal and I've got it. And I think the challenge that we really have to understand is there's going to be an educational gap. There's going to be a a challenge for everyone to make the assumption that we know how we operate here. And so I think planning and getting, one, those folks that are responsible for planning those functions back onto square one and and set up for success is going to be huge. Two, I think not making an assumption that even our seniors who were sophomores when this hit, if they're in the four-year track, right? They still don't know either. So I think going through the expectation conversation about how we operate and how we move is going to be really important. And I think some of our chapters are sleeping on that a little bit. I think some of our chapters are getting ready to come back. And I think they are excited about that, which I love, but I don't think they're wearing the hat of like, ooh people could get ready to go hard because they have missed it. And we've not, we've not braced ourselves for that potential impact.
0: And we're already, we're already feeling that push, I feel like in, in different ways. And I guess a question that kind of comes in my mind that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about with that is in getting everybody on the same set of expectations, organization by organization we also know that a very interesting mix of expectations are being thrown at our members now from, from health experts, from state and local levels. Just things are, there might be more disparity between those recommendations right now than we've seen in a while. And that's been something for everyone to navigate this whole pandemic, right? But what are your thoughts on how to help members navigate those expectations and prioritize which rules should we actually follow? What is it always the strictest thing that we need to do? Is it uh, when can we not pay attention to the most strict thing? Those kind yeah. of questions
2: that are bound to come up
0: if they haven't already.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I say this a lot to students when I work with them. There is nothing wrong with logic. Right. So there's a lot of rules. And sometimes in the rules, we also have to go to logic. So when we were doing some work in the the summer, getting ready for this year of COVID, right, and trying to help students figure out ways, because some of our students, and I get it, like, they were gung ho that they were going to have an event, even if it meant I have to do the event 28 times with only 10 people, we have to be in person for things, And so our job was really to try to get the lowest risk possible. And I think that that mindset should move forward in the fall, even though people are going to be vaccinated and even though we want this desire to return to normal, our job should be with any event, pandemic or otherwise, how do we get that event to the lowest risk possible? That should be the first question. And the second event question that we should always ask ourselves is an internal check-in of just because we can do something, does that mean that we should do it, right? So just because we can have an event with 1,200 people at one bar, do we really think we should be doing that? And who's holding the risk of that? And, And how are we managing those folks? Like, I think there's a lot of questions about what that looks like, right? We say this a lot in hazing, right? Like, Just because we think that hazing doesn't exist when they're an initiated woman doesn't mean that we should treat any human like that, right? So I think sometimes we have to go to the space of logic. And so um, that's first and foremost. And, And the students that I have the privilege of working with, whether they're in Delta Zeta or in other organizations, they're sharp, they're smart, and they're equipped to handle this. But sometimes that does mean we have to sacrifice our want for the logic. And so just be cognizant of that, right? The other part I think that's going to be really important is your, we organizations, um, whether we like it or not, we are the guests of the institution. We are the guests of the institution. And so I think your institution policy is going to drive a lot of what we can and cannot do. And we could go into a whole diatribe about organizational rights and rights of privilege and and, and I and I hear it all. I hear it all. But at the end of the day there's another side of this coin that we have to think about, which is this reputational risk. Um, sometimes our actions don't look like we're providing the same level of care for the community as maybe some of our non-members in the Greek system or the fraternity sorti community are. And so when we make choices because we believe we're entitled to have that social function, to the general public, it appears... Uh, careless. It maybe appears like we don't have a level of concern for the campus community. And that's faculty. That's adult students. That is um, minority students who are disproportionately impacted by things like pandemics and the health system. So I think we have to be mindful that there's other ramifications of our of our actions that, again, go back to the just because we can or believe we're entitled to it. Doesn't mean that we should because there may be a risk of reputational damage that we have not even considered yet. And that's heavy and that's big and that is like can suck the life out of you as a student leader. But it is something that we want to think about. I think about even bid day. So many of our chapters tried to plan bid days with masks and tried to be intentional. And we all got put on blast for how dare we, how could we, right? Like we're in a pandemic and you are just sitting out here with your friends taking photos, even if we put every safety measure in place, right? To the general eye, to the general population, it doesn't matter. And so I think that those are things that we really have to think about. Um, and I think the final part of that, Alison, to your, to your question is, we have to stay flexible. COVID is so like disease is so fluid. So, and I, we were laughing about this before we started, like when COVID first hit the things that we were doing y'all bonkers, like we were wiping down our grocery bags thinking like, Oh, it's going to be on there. Like I was buying boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese and literally disinfecting them with Lysol. Like where, where was my brain in that moment? Right. Um, I would, <laughs> I would wear five masks at a time. Like we, we were, we were, we We weren't sure. Yeah, we were absurd. And so I think now we learn things. Well, now I look at things like HVAC systems because of airborne viruses very intentionally. Ask me a musical theater major who works in higher education. The last time HVAC was a consideration in my head. I couldn't even tell you what HVAC stood for, Um, (laughs) but That's like now a thing when we look at how airborne viruses spread. And I think we have to just recognize we're going to continue to be fluid and things are going to continue to change. Vaccines could be great. It doesn't mean these new strands are not going to come in and impact us. It doesn't mean we're not going to continue to see positive cases or isolations or quarantining, even in the fall and through the spring. So we're not out of it yet. So it's, again, about that logic and being diligent about listening to those health professionals that are truly the experts driving the bus and knowing things are going to change as we learn more information. COVID was not on the books until 2020. It was not maybe maybe late, late 2019. That was not in a medical journal. Didn't exist. SARS did, which is a strand of COVID, but COVID-19 did not exist. And so that's the beauty of science is now we know more and we learn information so that we have to be gracious and fluid and our ability to handle that too.
0: Definitely. What additional training have you seen, if any, to try to equip our members for events going forward. Uh, I know that there's our organizations already have lots of training for event planning, for leadership. uh, But I'm guessing that everyone is talking about some additional training and resources going into the fall.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's a great question, Allison. Um, We would be remiss if we didn't recognize that alcohol and drug use during the pandemic has been up significantly. Um, and I think some of that is a little bit of self-soothing. And I've got a great colleague, um, Archie Mastersmith Bunting, that does some really good work around um, feelings and how we turn to substance use in that. And so I think that there's some really good stuff. I know um, the team at Diane Strategies just came out with a white paper specific to fraternity, and I'm curious to see their sorority data about this. But we know that student drinking is up, um, in particular in the pandemic. And some of that is because we also, like, I can go to Zoom university and have a glass of wine next to my desk or have a truly next to my computer and nobody knows, but we would never like in our academic world normally roll into our lecture with, you know, a case of truly. So I think that there's a little bit of, uh, we've, we've had some lack of structure, which has allowed us to make some choices. So I think we have to be mindful of that. So one, I think Going back to the basics of alcohol education, in particular, drug education around marijuana too, because we're seeing such a huge increase in that usage, the Monitoring the Future study for women in particular, marijuana was the largest jump in the history of the Monitoring the Future survey with use among women. And I think that if all my colleagues are not listening, that should be a huge red flag that we need to up our game in that arena and that space. Um, So I think that's the first thing is go back to the basics with everybody. What is a standard drink size? What is the difference in, in rates of absorption of alcohol, right? How do we realize how our environments and our expectations shift how we drink? So I think that's one. Two. The event planning piece, go back to event 101. If you, before your first event, are not walking your members in that chapter meeting prior to it about what to expect, about what to do, how it's going to look, you're going to be in a world of hurt. I really love a model that a lot of colleagues of mine in Pretorius were to use called EIA. Um, And I know Trisigma has a little bit of a shift on it, but it's um, expectations, intervention, and accountability. I think Tri-Sigma calls it, because Lauren Phillips over there is a genius, I think she calls it expectations, uh, expectations, education, and enforcement. Lauren, if I mess that up, I'm sorry, don't hate me. Um, but she changes those E's so it's consistent, and I think that's in line with the Tri-Sigma brand. God love them. Um, so uh, there are some really great things that we're seeing, but what are the expectations of the event? What do you want the members to do, first and foremost, when they come out? The intervention is what does that look like when those expectations are violated in that moment, right? How are we going to intervene when we see that that has not happened? And then the accountability part is when the expectation has been violated and intervention has been needed, what does that look like for you as a member? Is that a standard, a judicial process or honor board? Is that Um, removal from the event in the organization? What does that look like? So I think that setting that up and making that a community dialogue with your chapter, that also helps leaders because when we ask our women, what are the expectations that we have? And our, uh, Becky, our party monster, Becky is my go-to party member. Um, When Becky raises her hand and is like, I just want to have fun again because there's been too many rules, that should tell you ding, ding, ding already that member is going to be a problem. Because she is coming into this like it is going to be a rager for her. And she is thinking that there's going to be no rules. And so I think that's a really good model to walk through. And then the last thing I will stress, because I think we were doing a not great job of this already as an industry, there is going to be such an importance placed on guest lists for at least the next year or two for contact tracing and other efforts if you do not have a solid guest list plan in mind, and I'm not talking like the gross sheet of spiral notebook paper, that's got like the beer stain and a lipstick smudge and some tears on it. Like I'm talking a professional setup of what that looks like. Um, I think you're going to be in a world of hurt as student leaders and as organizations. And so if you need help beefing that process up, I know MJ has some great tools that they can help do that. Um, We have an event planning tool called clutch that really is designed to help that. And so I would strongly encourage you to pick up your guest list game because Again, I think people think we're going to come back in the fall with vaccines in the arms and COVID goes away. And that's just not true. And I think contact tracing is still going to be in place. And if you as an organization who planned an event can't then show that you have a duty to care to notify all those people if somebody was positive, it's going to be pretty potentially harmful, I think, on how the university looks at your organization.
0: All good points. All good stuff to think through. What... Um... When I'm thinking about all this, I'm also thinking about, you mentioned Clutch. I know groups have different resources that they are going to use to aid in all of this. And those are helpful frameworks and models to think through. Is Are there things that you guys are doing to revise, revise your event planning resources to put new things on them? Are you putting a disclaimer at the front? Are you having to update any of the language? Has all that stuff already been done and it's a matter of just keeping the course or what, what are your thoughts on some of that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think go back to the earlier point, right? Like just because we can, doesn't mean we should. And so I think a lot of the things that we've put in place with COVID are actually, I think just solid event planning options. Right. I think we also have to recognize some of our students are just not going to be comfortable with a return to normal. Maybe they're immunocompromised, maybe they're just fearful. And so I will tell you one of the things that we're continuing to dig on in our event planning items that we look at as we've talked to chapters is, so what is your virtual plan? And sometimes our women look at us with with big eyes and are confused because they're like, well, we all, we're out of COVID, right? The, The state, for example, Texas has lifted the regulations. So we're just back to normal. Okay. So what is the plan for me, Will, who is uncomfortable going, who has not been vaccinated yet? Am I just supposed to sit at home and watch all my friends have fun on Instagram? Or can I not be a part of that somehow? So, and I think, again, as we strive to be more inclusive, welcoming environments that focus on belonging, that message of you're either at the event in person or there's no other option for you while you sit at home. That is completely counter to the push and narrative that our students are driving right now, which I love. So, one of the things I think to continue to ask yourself is what is the option for folks that aren't going to be there? And prior to the pandemic, it was here is the plan. There was never a plan B or C. And I think now we have to continue to be diligent about that effort. You know, another thing I think that's going to be out there is how we use our space. Um, I think shifting events you know having 500 people at an event at a time was impossible sometimes to, to manage and regulate safety and i think the amount of insurance claims that we see out of those from not from a lack of i think people being intentionally boneheaded like right being being boogers but just like how do we control 500 people as another 18 or 20 year old I think shifting how we look at event numbers from a, a broader safety perspective is going to be a really good tool. So is it worth doing a, an event? Because the venue doesn't care if it's you know 500 people from 2 until 6 p.m. They just want the money. So if you do 250 from you know 2 until 4 and then another 250 from 4 until 6, they don't care because they, they have a contract with you and money. And so I think that's a safety thing that we're going to continue to look at. And then the last thing I think that we need to continue to, to be mindful of is general hygiene, general, just like germ spreading. Um, I actually, I there's a clipping from a news article um, from the Douglas Island News that I have over my desk from November 15th, 1918. And it is the do's and don'ts of influenza prevention because that was the 1918 flu. And some of these things, y'all, are like so easy that i think we just as society forget and it's things like keep a clean healthy life like take a bath right one of these specifics (laughs) says keep your pores open um, to breathe so you have to bathe frequently there's things on here like get plenty of sleep um wash your hands before each meal like how many times have we rolled into meals like I was the last one of a lot of kids. So like the adage of like your mom being like, wash your hands before dinner. I love my mom. She definitely would have made me do that if I was like dirty, dirty. But like most of the time she was like, just sit down and start eating. Like we just don't think about that stuff, right? Um, And think about it. On the way to an event, we touch the seat on the bus. We touch the handle on the Uber. We touch the handle on the bar door. We do all these things. And we're just like, then shoving that bowl of pretzels right in our mouth. Not even communal, thinking about all
1: the bowl of pretzels. Right, correct. Correct. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> so like, I think just, you know, little things like I, there's things in here, like do not use a public towel or drinking cup. So I, I think, there's things like that in your prevention plan for the fall that you have to ask just about hygiene. How are you going to help ensure that we are just keeping safe hygienic practices in large groups? You know, I don't think sanitizer should go away. I, I don't think reminders of washing hands. And I think those little things are still going to be things that we have to put in our planning guides that. We're not in there before. I assure you, we're not in there before. And I think too, uh, because I believe in the power of women to overhaul the fraternity system, it should not be your obligation, but I believe you have the, the authority and the power to do it. If those fraternity basements, and I have been in plenty of them, are not meeting those standards, stop going or demand a higher level of hygiene. Like You can do that. And I think that that's the stuff that we're going to have to continue to push to have a safer campus community.
1: Yeah, I think that goes together to what you were saying. In turn, This might be a stretch, but the reputational risk or reputational harm, too, because yeah. it's about being in that way. It's about being inclusive. I think there's going to be a lot of us that come out of this. I'm like you. I was like about as far from a germaphobe. I live on a farm. I I like, I never used hand sanitizer because I thought it was Mm -hmm. just like straight chemicals. And then all of a sudden in March of 2020, I'm like carrying around hand sanitizer and my kids are like, who are you? (laughs) But I don't see that changing at this point. I mean, we've all been through this traumatic event and we've changed because of it. And so I think the the same is going to be true for the members. And so in the same way that we want to be more cognizant of our communities, like the surrounding collegiate community and those different kind of populations. We want to be cognizant and inclusive of those members that maybe aren't on on board with totally coming back and just going back to quote unquote new normal or something like that. And so having those virtual options, being cognizant of hygiene, because it's the right thing to do for sure, but also as a way of of meeting people where they are, especially coming out, just kind of easing back into things, if that makes sense. So I think there's, it's kind of like several reasons to do the right thing, basically.
2: Yeah, Sarah, that's such a great point. And I will tell you, there's three bullet points on this, this do's and don'ts from 1918 that I have highlighted. And the three of them are, do not disregard the advice of a specialist, just because you do not understand, which I think is a lot of the work that we have to do, right? With our students and, and with us going back to normal. Um, do not disregard the rights of a community. Obey cheerfully the rules issued by those authorities, because I think it was about being like the greater good as opposed to individual and want and need. And I get it, I have them too, but we base our, our system and brotherhood and sisterhood in this community. And so think about that and like, and obeying it cheerfully as opposed to, burning down the building and being mad as hell that that's a rule, like, I get it. It's an inconvenience. And the last one is, do not think you are entitled to special privileges. And I think that in 1918, for that to be the narrative around the pandemic at that time, how true is that even now? And so keeping that greater good to your point in mind, that's what our organizations were founded on. We're improving the greater good. And so I think that there's something really powerful in that, that we have to go back to and consider.
1: Right. Yeah. What a powerful opportunity for us now to show that side of things, you know, coming back. Yeah, I,
2: this. I love this document. It is like when I first saw it uh, in probably end of July, I was like, I need to keep this over my desk, because how it is the same thing we are preaching today, just with very different language right. from 1918 to 2020. So you know, no, no, 21. So I'm like, this is brilliant. So yeah, why and this, we, just,
1: we should we should have all been pulling that out. Or they should have been pulling that out in March. That would have been better. I know. <laughs> like, right. Better than some of the things. But anyway, we'll
2: blame the Douglas Island News, November 15, 1918, for any researcher out there that wants it. It's a great question. Yes, I love it.
1: We will link to it in the show notes. I will find it. Awesome. So now is the time, unless you have any other questions, Allison.
2: <laughs> no,
0: I think we covered a wide yeah. breadth of, of things, especially just general principles and thoughts going into the fall. So thank you, Will. Yes. Yeah. So exciting.
1: Now's the time that we usually turn to what we can't stop talking about outside of sorority risk management because, you know, that's all we talk about. Just kidding. So, Will, why don't you go first if you're yeah, up Yeah,
2: okay. There's so many things I can't stop talking about. And I love that we're doing this because I want to stop talking about COVID. So thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. So first off, if anybody knows me, I am an avid Peloton rider. I have just bought a Peloton. It has changed my life. I am those cliche people that were like, who would spend that much money on a bike? This is disgusting. And now I like sweat and cry over my bike about the <laughs> like cathartic journey I've gone on in a 20 minute ride um, singing to Britney Spears. But I can't stop talking about my Peloton. I love it. I love it. If anybody wants to join me in my community, come on board. I love it. The other thing I will tell you that is, I, because now we've all like valued the benefit of not going out and being in our homes and finding joy in things, television has taken a massively new like uh, appreciation in my world. Y'all, drag race, RuPaul's drag race, or Canada's Drag Race, which RuPaul doesn't host, so she's technically not the owner of it. Anyways, I could give you all that <laughs> later. Um, I am loving this U.S. Drag Race competition with what's happening right now in UK because they air them at the same time. I'm in like Facebook fan groups. This tells you how much of a nerd <laughs> I am, and people like are scrutinizing it. I am loving it. It is the best I have maybe had a glass of wine and tried to figure out if I could figure out like how to blend my makeup, which I don't wear. If you don't know me, I have a big old beard. It's impossible. <laughs> um, like, I do all of these things where I'm like, I want like a lace front wig. What is that? Let me try it. I <laughs> am loving all of it. And so also, I will tell you, there is nobody more confident in the world than a drag queen. There is not a person that is more like Authentically, some of us are fake confident. Drag queens, especially in their drag persona, they will give you life. So if you ever need like a pick me up and your chapter meeting, don't find like a bachelor or a bachelorette contestant to do that. Which I love. That's what sorority women are doing. Like, find a drag queen to roll into pre recruitment week and just like boots house down, love you, you're fierce, like glitter <laughs> cannon and all. Your recruitment numbers are going to soar. I just know it. I just know it. So, anyways, RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race. I can't stop talking about it. I, I flip. It I love time. it. They well, have to
0: credit you
1: if they do that.
0: Yeah, well, and I need to know if, if you picked a name, if if you were, have you picked what yeah. your persona would be and identity?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, I, I know two. you thought about this. Yes. Oh, I right. Hello. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: So um, I have two. The days that I feel like fit and thin, like I could be a really fierce dancing queen. Um, I really love the name Patty Bou-Ray off the term Pata ray So Patty Bou-Ray, that feels good. Um, the other one is definitely not so PC. So Sarah you may have to edit this part out. Um <laughs> but I so there's a bodysuit that a lot of girls wear with like a high boot, right? Like um and so I was playing with this one day and I was like, what if my name was Leah Tarday? So, um, cause I feel like the Tard part can be a little aggressive. So I was like, well, fancy, we got to make it fancy. So I think like my comedy queen persona would be Leah Tarday. Um, <laughs> and I would wear a leotard with some boots, which this body is not built for a leotard. In my head, I think I'm Simone Biles. Um, but <laughs> I, I am not a, even a one-piece bathing suit wearer. I'm like a wetsuit bathing suit wearer. So it'll set me out of my comfort zone. But Either Patty or Leah, they're coming to you live in the fall. Watch out.
1: Yes. I feel I like it. you should. Those are so good. Such good ones. You shouldn't have just like given them out here for free.
2: Oh, the pop, patent, <laughs> pa- patent pending trademark copyright. All the, yes. all the legal <laughs> terms. <laughs> Someone's steal those. Thank you for know. sharing.
1: Uh, Allison, do you want to try to follow that up? I feel really boring now.
0: Oh man, yes. I don't think I have anything as exciting. Just still making playlists over here, trying to, um, trying to find something that's a good mood for all these gray days. Um, but while we still get little little hints of spring uh, coming up, so been doing all sorts of things. I've taken uh, I, a weird dive into. I really like finding really old songs that are, like, the roots of, like, where all these genres came from. So, mm. like, not just modern folk music, but, like, old cowboy songs, which is weird. But, like, finding, like, what did they actually sing on cattle drives? Like, some of those songs have been, like, recorded and are out there. Or, like, old gospel hy- Like, really old things that are, like, where a lot of the good artists you see today like know that stuff and that's kind of where like the roots of their music is so I've been going down all sorts of rabbit trails on Spotify lately this is where I
2: love that yes I
0: know it's kind of fun you're
2: like you're definitely I think the most intellectual DJ of all the DJs right (laughs) like you you're not like let me just drive this beat like you're like let me walk you through a journey of a story of how we've gotten here that's also going to make you like just shake your life away. I love that. Look at you. DJ Intellect. I'm here
0: for it. (laughs) DJ Intellect. (laughs) DJ Intellect. Perfect. It's always up
2: with a new new exciting name,
0: so it's good.
1: (laughs) Okay. You'll have to send me a link so I can post it in the show. Yeah,
0: for sure. I will.
1: So I'm really excited about March Madness. We are a basketball family here as is required of Hoosiers. I mean, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's all happening in Indianapolis. My husband played for Wofford College and he his, his coach at the time now coaches Virginia Tech. And so he got him a few tickets. And so I think we get to go to a few games, all messed up and stuff, which will be fun. But I was really sad about March Madness getting canceled last year. I think it was like it just made everything seem really real when every, you know, certainly they can't cancel that. And so I'm really excited that they made, figured out a way to make it work and um, I'm excited to watch and cheer on our teams and all that good stuff. So I'm thankful that they, they got their, you know, creative juices flowing and figured out a way to make this complicated situation work for, especially for the student athletes too, because what we were saying about, you know, seniors and things like that's, Obviously, true, especially true for student athletes that only get one yeah. shot at this. So,
2: yeah, that's wild. I
0: think there's also like art events downtown that go with it too. Like, yeah, the I know, so stuff I these things. The and down there, yeah. So, mm-hmm.
1: Indy will be hopping, hopefully, not Talk too about,
0: like, hopefully, in a, in a in good a socially distanced, yeah, yeah, smart way hopping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're trying, it, it might be interesting to see how they do it. Like, how do you host this and? right keep it outdoor artists and still highlight parts of the city um but it seems like they're trying to find safe ways to do it so let's hope the weather
2: cooperates you know
1: all right well this is great thanks will will you come back this is awesome
2: anytime this is awesome i'm happy to do it and if you're not checking out this podcast there's some really good ones so come back and listen sarah and Allison mm-hmm. do good work but i was happy to be here and thanks for letting me play in your sandbox today
0: thanks for joining us for real talk we want to hear from you if you have feedback, comments, or questions, send us an email at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Visit our website, mjsorority.com, to learn more
1: about who we are, what we do, and explore our huge resource library. Check out the show notes from today's episode to dig a little deeper into the topics we discussed. This has been Real Talk with MJ Sorority. Be smart.
0: Be safe. And we'll catch you next time.